this is really happening. This is the real life. It's not just fantasy. We're rushing headlong into this series. We're taking action this day. Because today is the first official full episode of Tater Thoughts, and I'm kicking off my queen deep dive, I came up with this crazy thought to write about or talk about every single queen song on every single studio album. And when I first thought about doing this, I was so excited. Wouldn't it be cool if I did this? And I went into the musicality of all the songs and the structure and the motivation and the emotion and the technicality and all of these things, right? And then I started to research and I realized, whoa, (laughs) this is a massive undertaking. But it's a good thing I love this band because it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, we're talking 15 studio albums. We're talking 10 songs on each album, give or take. And yeah, it's massive. And I'm really stoked to get into it. But before I begin the kickoff and actually go through the songs, I wanted to highlight more about this band in general. Yes, I wrote a blog that announced this series that I'm doing, but it's not enough. I need to go into the amazing achievements of this band, my journey with them, why I love them so much, and what makes Queen Queen. In other words, this isn't just Freddie Mercury's band. So who are these other guys? So first of all, stats and achievements. This band, potentially upwards of 300 million records sold. Every member has written a number one hit for the band, and all four of them are in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. They are still the only band with that distinction. Countless awards. I'm not even going to try to go into that list. You can look it up. Lots of albums. Lots of number ones. These guys were massive, and they're still massive, and it's incredible. And their legacy endures. That's why people are still going to see them. That's why they still rock on and they rock hard. It started in 1968. It was a band called Smile with three members. Brian May, Roger Taylor, and a guy named Tim Staffel, who was their bassist and lead vocalist. Well, Tim left. Yes, he actually did leave to go to a band called Humpy Bong. That is a fact. And Freddie, who knew Roger previously, joined the band, and they needed a bassist. So John Deacon came into the picture. So by the time 71 hit, that was their lineup. That was their classic lineup. Thus, Queen, as we know them, was born. And they went on to dominate, despite the naysayers, despite the press that were almost never their friend, they went on. And everybody loved them. I mean, seriously, I have not met a person who doesn't love at least one Queen song. Or if they love a song, they suddenly go, well, that's Queen? Because that's what happened to me. So my interest in Journey with the Band, yeah. I'm embarrassed and ashamed to say that my obsession with this band is relatively new in the grand scheme of things. It's only been a few years. I've known about them forever. Don't get me wrong. My parents had them on vinyl. I'd heard the hits for as long as I could remember. Wayne's World is forever burned into my brain. That is a monumental moment, an experience. 
And I knew that they were significant. There's no doubt about that. I knew that they were a big deal, but I didn't understand why. And part of that is my lack of interest in rock music for a lot of my young life. I just, it didn't appeal to me. I'm not sure why, but I liked the melodies and the atmospheres of pop and dance and trance. It was not an interest of mine, classic rock or rock music. Oh my gosh, how I was missing out. I wish I'd known. Needless to say, once I discovered the awesomeness of this band, my mind exploded. What? They have this many albums? What? They did progressive rock and rock pop. And they did vaudeville and they did speed metal and they did rock operas. And they, I mean, hello. <laughs> they kind of touched a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But for them, really, it's Queen. So it's all rock and roll. And that's what I love so much about them. I do remember hearing a very obscure song from their album, The Works, called Keep Passing the Open Windows. When I was really little, that is my first memory of hearing Queen. And I couldn't tell you why that's the case, because again, this is not a popular song. It's a great song. In fact, I would say that most of their best songs are not the hits. And I'm not just saying that because we've all heard the hits. Honestly, I have listened to Bohemian Rhapsody far less than just about any of the other songs on the albums because I've heard it so many times. And as awesome as it is, there's just so much more that's also awesome. I think where Queen thrived the best was outside of the conventional arrangements of a radio-ready song. They never even wrote songs for radio. They never wrote something intending it to be a hit. They just worked with songs that they liked to work on. So what you end up with are these songs that are interesting and super experimental, and they really go outside the box when it comes to what the listener is expecting. So they're just that much more fun. So after I fell in love with this band, and it literally hit me like a truck, within a day, I had to read about each of the boys, where they came from, their skills, what they studied. They all have degrees, by the way, and how they came together. I was so fascinated with their personal journeys and how they got to be queen that I had to discover everything. And I do that when I fall in love with an artist, typically, like Bjork and Ellie Goulding and Jewel and Radiohead and Coldplay. The list goes on. I love an artist. I love to read about them. Who is this person or who are these people? What, what drives them to write this stuff and perform this stuff? And what is it about them? It's that whole human psyche obsession I have. So I researched all of these things and I've just, I fell in love. I, I thought, wow, I loved their positivity and their energy and just something about them. It really truly is a remarkable chemistry they had. And they all knew that. And they all talked about that from time to time in interviews that the only reason they were still going was because they were putting out great stuff because it was the four of them. They went on like that for two decades, solid. And then I had to go out after I fell in love with all this stuff about them. I had to go out and collect every single album on disc. That was so much fun. And it took me months to do it because I went to these tiny, obscure little 
shops and stores tucked away all over the region. I went everywhere. But it was great. When I got that last one and I had every single one of their albums on disc, I was, it was a bittersweet moment because I was sad that journey was over. And then I just thought to myself, well, I'm going to have to start collecting vinyl. (laughs) I haven't started yet, but that is on my list as soon as I get a turntable. Why do I love these guys? Gosh, I've, I don't, I don't really know what else to say. It's, it's everything about who they are as a band. I love that they're all writers in the band, that they've all contributed fantastic songs to this band. Did you guys know that, yes, Freddie wrote Bohemian Rhapsody and We Are the Champions, but Brian wrote We Will Rock You. John wrote Another One Bites the Dust and Roger wrote Radio Gaga. These are four guys who have always been incredibly talented incredibly motivated, very unique, very strong-willed, very creative, and all contributed equal parts to the whole that made it this amazing thing. And yes, I'm romanticizing this whole thing because it's just how I feel about the band. I love everything Queen. I am a happy Queenie. And I love that they didn't care what the music press said. They knew that the music press was critical of their work. They knew that the press was going to be all over them because they didn't do what was expected with their albums and they went outside the genre box. But you know what? They didn't care. I think they thrived on that, honestly. It just kept them going because they always wanted to do something different. They, they got bored with things before anyone else did, so they wanted to move on. And there was always something new to do and innovate and experiment with. A lot of people, when they think of Queen, they still think of Freddie Mercury. Even after Bohemian Rhapsody, the film, has been released and very well highlighted the importance of every single member of the band, a lot of people still think it's Freddie Mercury's band. And I get it. I was one of those people for years. That was my perception. This is Freddie Mercury's band. Oh my gosh. All four of these guys contributed so much to this band. We're just going to have to talk about all four of them. (laughs) So let's just start with Freddie. He is the obvious one we should start with. Born Farouk Balsara, yes, in Zanzibar. His family fled to London when he was young, and he had an early interest in art and design. He studied graphics and design, and he got his degree. He designed the Queen Coat of Arms, which you see on many of the album jackets and in the album art. I particularly love the way it looks on the Day at the Races cover. Love that album. Love that art. It's gorgeous. Freddie had that vision. I mean, he named the band Queen. That was his idea. I can only assume he had this absolutely incredible imagination. He wrote a lot of early songs that had to do with other lands and fantasy and art and very ambiguous expression. He was always about that that broad idea and leaving the interpretation up to the listener. He never wanted to impose his opinion on anyone. He would get those questions about songs. Well, what is this about, Freddie? Well, it's whatever you want it to be about. And I love that because it, it keeps the freedom for the creator, but it also gives the freedom to the listener to take it and run with it. That's what art is all about. Freddie's songs, his compositions were very enigmatic. 
And I think that's a reflection of who he was. It's interesting that we still don't know a lot about Freddie Mercury, despite the film portrayals and the books and the little details that have come to light over the years. There's a lot that remains very private. And his songs are very much like that, despite the fact that they're loud and the key changes and the tempo changes are very diverse and abundant. It's almost like he's orchestrating a world as he's going through these songs. That's what makes everything that he touched as a composer so incredibly brilliant. When you look at tracks that were basically laying the groundwork for the great Bohemian Rhapsody, like Great King Rat and March of the Black Queen. Those compositions have the same framework of we're going to twist and turn and take you on a big roller coaster ride. <laughs> it's wonderfully Freddie. Freddie was very expressive. We know that he was extremely at home on stage, probably more than anywhere else. He loved being in front of an audience. He was flamboyant. He was expressive. He was theatrical. He loved Liza Minnelli. He loved a certain campiness, but it was uniquely Freddie. And he was also very warm and quite private about certain parts of his life and even a little bit reserved and shy at times and pretty sensitive as well. So there's this interesting contrast with his demeanor that you don't know about unless you read a little bit more and watch some of those interviews and you see, oh my gosh, this guy's not always in your face and, you know, talking about, okay, let's do it. You know, he's not always like that. In some ways, he was just a guy with a lot going on in his heart and his mind. Other interesting things about Freddie, he boxed when he was a kid. He sang in a number of bands before he was with Queen. And he went and saw Jimi Hendrix, I think it was about 14 times in a few weeks. <laughs> so he was a massive Jimi Hendrix fan. I think most, if not all of the guys were. That was a huge influence on them. And you can hear that. As far as performance goes with Freddie, what else is there to say? He was Freddie Mercury. His voice was strong, a very wide range, and he was extremely good at enunciating. You could really understand him when he sang, which is interesting because when he spoke, he had a little bit of a hindrance because of his teeth. But man, when he sang, gosh, what? It was amazing when he sang. So Freddie was just a one-off and he was very well-loved and his legacy just lives on. He was larger than life Clearly a huge influence on the band, the artistic direction, what they did, especially in the early days. So it's understandable that people would think, oh, that's Freddie Mercury's band. But we're going to talk about the other guys. And who are the other guys? Well, Dr. Brian May, guitarist, singer, and also played the piano as well. Quite well, I might add. Freddie played the piano too, and he played completely self-taught. But Brian has a way with his guitar and the piano, all of his playing actually, which is very poetic. It goes right along with his introspective, gentle, 
delivery. I love reading what he writes. I follow him on Instagram and he's always very well-spoken, very thoughtful. He genuinely cares about the world and people. And there's a certain warmth to him that lends itself to what he writes and the songs that he creates. A lot of his songs are quite emotional and passionate and there's a fire there. It's almost like he's reaching or hoping for something. I get that feeling a lot when I listen to his work, especially songs like White Queen as it began and Long Away. They're very insightful. He likes to think beyond the boundaries. He likes to think about the what-ifs in the bigger picture. So I think because of those reasons, he's probably my favorite writer in the band. A lot of my favorite, favorite songs are his, like Dragon Attack and Father to Son, which is probably my very favorite song. What he does with his guitar is something else. If you've ever listened to a live performance, you know all of the tricks he's got up his sleeve when it comes to that guitar. He can make that thing sound like anything. He can make it sound like a screaming woman. <laughs> he can make it sound like a creature in the night. He can make it sound like a full brass ensemble. The stuff that he does with that guitar is amazing. Just listen to Good Company on a night at the opera and you'll know what I'm talking about. So a bit of history about Brian. He built his own guitar in the 60s with his dad using a piece of wood from their fireplace, I believe. And that is his beloved Red Special. He still plays it. I got to see him play it in 2019 when I took my mom to the Queen and Adam Lambert concert, which was phenomenal. A once-in-a-lifetime experience. And Brian, as an astrophysicist, obviously he's loved astronomy for a very long time. And he's worked with NASA. Wow amazing stuff. Funny story. I was listening to an interview the guys gave in 1977. Freddie chimed in and said, oh, Brian, wh why don't you tell them about your zodiacal light? And my ears perked up. See, I wrote my song, Zodiacal Light. And it was after I wrote my song that I heard this. And suddenly Brian May starts talking in 1977 about the zodiacal light astronomical phenomenon. And I'm geeking out because I've never heard anyone else talk about the zodiacal light. I was like, what? I have something in common with Brian May. It was so silly. But it was a cool thing that jumped out at me in the middle of this 30-minute long interview I was listening to. As far as Brian's performance, he's always very poised. It's like he's concentrating a lot, but it's effortless. <laughs> and his voice is very round and softer and deeper. He, he provides a great foundation for the guy's legendary harmonies that they're so well known for. Who's next? None other than Roger Taylor, the drummer of the band and an impeccable drummer at that. Self-taught, developed his own style a big fan of the big drums, big loud drums. It's partially what inspired what I did on my album, Tempest, actually. And he opened the hi-hat on his snares, too, to give it a bigger pop. Didn't read music all that well, but didn't want to. He didn't want to be confined to dots and lines on a page. He very much just relied on his natural feel for how 
the rhythm how the beat should go. He also plays a lot of other instruments as well. In fact, he wrote, performed, and produced, pretty much did everything for his solo debut album, Fun in Space, which I really like. He is my favorite member of the band, and it's probably because I love his personality. He's extremely expressive. His faces are hilarious. In fact, I think there's probably a whole compilation on YouTube with just his expressions. But he's very candid. He's very honest, especially when it comes to the music press and his general disdain for them. (laughs) He's got a great sense of humor. When he writes... It comes across as honest, and there's a certain quality to his lyrics that's almost nostalgic. Even the lyrics that are a little bit more hardcore, like Fight from the Inside, or the fun ones like Fun It, which I love. I love that song. There's a real authenticity and a genuineness. And I really appreciate that because it's a nice contrast against the more poetic expressions of Brian and the more bombastic and fantastical expressions of Freddie. Roger's actually quite versatile just himself as a writer. I think he's firmly entrenched in rock, but if you listen to his work, even within Queen, you can hear a little bit of jazz, a little bit of funk, maybe some more pop-leaning stuff in there. And actually, my ringtone is this little snippet of a very dance-like song that he did in 84. So he can branch out quite a bit, even being a rocker. He grew up in bands, almost literally. He started playing guitar from a young age, and then he moved on to the drums when he discovered how good he was at playing them. But he also still loved to sing, so he would put his drum kit at the front of the stage and sing at the same time. And I love that because it's... I just love that enthusiasm. Like, yeah, I'm going to do all this. (laughs) So that was how he rolled. As he got a little older, he studied biology, dentistry, and he got his degree. But he couldn't stay away from the music. He loved it. He had to be in a band. He is also big on fashion. He always dressed like a rock star. Even when they weren't touring and they weren't doing anything of note, he would always dress like he was ready to rock out. (laughs) But I think it's because he understood the importance of presentation and attitude. And that's why he also helped influence some of the decisions that were made for some of the cover art, like News of the World and Jazz. He had these ideas for, hey, we should do this. I love it when people in bands, when artists contribute additional projects to the whole. You know, it's not just about the music. They actually think about the big picture. And Roger definitely did that. And he was big on velvet. And he still is. He had a lot of velvet jackets. One of his nicknames was Rainbow Man because he wore a lot of shiny things and fuzzy things, colorful things. I just thought I used to wear velvet in high school a lot. I had a ton of velvet shirts. I had this red velvet, way too short for school dress that I used to wear with these big old platform sneakers. That was totally my Spice Girl phase. I was a wannabe pop star. I don't know what it is about velvet. It it just, it makes you feel royal. And I don't know, there's something about it. And obviously Roger knew that. As far as his performance goes, he is always... 
everything and then some. If you watch him at the drums, if you watch him with his tambourine, when the band would come downstage, play together and do songs like 39 and Dreamer's Ball. That's such a great song live. He's just always given 150%. All the guys, 150%. And it's really impressive, honestly, that he can sing like he does while he's drumming. He was once on this game show segment and he played the drums for 30 seconds and everybody had to guess what his heart rate was going to be at the end. And it was over 170. I was really surprised. That's about what my heart rate is when I'm in the middle of a long 10-mile run. So that just goes to show you how much work you're doing when you're drumming. But Roger's voice is raspier and total rock and roll. It's a little bit like Brian Adams and Rod Stewart, sort of. He reminds me of a few different people put together, and it's quite versatile. I've heard him go soft and then much more heavier and grittier, but his trademark is those high, high notes. So anytime you hear a super high note in a song, it's always Roger. Who am I forgetting? Oh, of course, John Deacon, Disco Deaky, as he's affectionately known by the most devoted of the fan base because he used to dance on stage. That was kind of his thing. John is the youngest of the band. He joined last and John wasn't their first bassist. He was the one that actually worked. They had several other bassists that came and went, some of them rather quickly. Some of them lasted one gig or less, but there was always something off about it. Maybe they fit well in the band, but they couldn't play and they didn't have the skill. Maybe they could play well, but they just didn't quite fit. But John came in and had that attitude, the personality, and the talent to do what they needed. He was always the quiet guy that just did his thing and did it so well. He never talked that much in interviews. In fact, if you watch the interview the guys did before the Live Aid segment in 85, he doesn't say one word. It's so adorable. He sits there and just kind of smiles and nods the whole time. It's brilliant. And it's so John. But that's how he was. He would literally disappear for days or weeks at a time, especially in the band's 80s days. And he would go on vacation or on a holiday, and then he'd come back and he'd knock out all his stuff for the record and he'd nail it. And that's just how he was, even though he didn't say much. And he didn't compose that much. Roger and John both composed a lot less than Brian and Freddie did for the band. But when John wrote a song, oh my gosh, he was a bigger fan of Motown and soul. So there was a certain quality to his songs, like You're My Best Friend and I Want to Break Free and Another One Bites the Dust. There's a certain soulfulness and a, and a vibe to it that only John could have. Another One Bites the Dust. I mean, that is their biggest selling song in the United States and John wrote it. So. When he came out, he came out swinging. And he's got some moves. Watch any of their performances. I was going to say from the 80s on, but even in the 70s, he was just rocking out. It's like he's in his world, just totally doing his thing, but he's absolutely in sync with the band. He sets that foundation as a bassist so well. He does things on that bass that I've never heard anyone else do. Bassists do not get the credit they deserve period. 
I've played in orchestras. I've talked to people who play bass and most of them are happy to just sit back and do their thing, but they're not appreciated like they should be. John is absolutely one of the best I've heard. He does these flowery arrangements on his bass that are just incredible. Listen to the beginning of Millionaire Waltz and listen to his bass line. It's so poetic. It's like a classical arrangement that's thrown onto a bass, extremely delicate and lithe. And he always did that, especially with songs that he wrote. There's these licks and these riffs that are distinctly John and expressive, especially for being on a bass, which you don't think of as being an expressive instrument. He just had a way with it. But him and Roger, as a foundational unit for the music of the band, unstoppable. They are completely locked in all the time. And it doesn't take anything more than a little glance every once in a while. They are just completely locked in. John was something else. Super reserved, but absolutely on point with whatever he did in the band. He studied electrical engineering, and he played in a lot of bands as a kid as well. He invented the Deaky Amp. So this guy clearly understood the importance of good engineering. I imagine that he would have had, like the rest of the guys often did, a pretty heavy hand in the production side. The guys didn't always produce their own work entirely, but they did on some albums, like A Day at the Races, which I love, and I think it's because they produced it themselves. Working with someone like Deke must have been particularly interesting. I would love to be a fly on the wall and just watch these guys work. You can listen to little snippets of outtakes from studio sessions they had. Some of them are absolutely hilarious. Some of them are quite heated. I mean, these guys, super strong personalities, they fought. They fought a lot. They got stuff done, but I can only imagine what it was like when someone would suggest, hey, I think we should do this instead. (laughs) Nope. All the more reason to appreciate the lasting relationship they had as a foursome, the fact that they stuck together, even if they took time apart to go do solo projects and collaborate with other people, they always came back and did their thing and did it so well, played to some of the biggest audiences ever. I mean, what was that attendance in that South America concert they did? Just insane, the number of people at this concert. Crazy. And we still can't get enough of them. I know I can't. I don't know what else to say. I think I've summed all that up pretty well. That is my massive freaking out fandom, fangirling moment. I'm going to end this episode so I can next dive into my official kickoff of the first song. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. I'm so excited, you guys. This is going to be great. I hope you'll stay with me as I go through it. If you're a big fan of the band, I hope you learned some things that you didn't know. I hope that it encourages you to go back and check out the catalog. If you're just a casual fan, maybe you'll dive in and discover that your favorite song is one of those songs that nobody else has ever heard. But we'll get into all that and we'll have a lot of fun. So until next time, I hope you guys have a good one. And, of course, rock on.